Hey guys, welcome back to the Balanced Blonde Podcast. Today's guest is Miss Katie Horwich. And something specific you should know about Katie is that if it weren't for her willingness to help and her expertise with podcasting, there's no way this podcast would exist because I had so many questions when I first received my box of gear that I ordered on the internet before my first interview with Brandon. And I had no idea where to start. I didn't even know what I was going to record with. I had these microphones. I had all this other stuff, an audio mixer, blah, blah. I'm probably saying it all wrong. And I texted Katie, Katie Horwich, because she's an amazing podcaster person, wonderful human, and had tons of questions for her and basically said, what am I doing? How do I use GarageBand? How do I save it? How do I make sure it's recording? What kind of microphone do I use? What am I doing? Should I really do this? What's a syndication site? How do I get on iTunes? blah, 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 all the questions, I had them. And Katie is such a kind person and she's very patient, very willing to help. She's not one of those kinds of girls who's competitive and just because she is a podcaster, thinks that nobody else can be successful and be a podcaster. That's the opposite of Katie Horwich. She's actually all about empowering other women and helping them step into their light their happiest, healthiest, most wonderful place, which is why she has a company and a blog called Women Against Negative Talk. Everything she does is sensational. I'm going to introduce her in a second, but I just want you to know that she's phenomenal. You're so lucky to be listening to her. Her voice is smooth as butter. She's amazing. And here she is, Katie Horwich. Well... Today, we have Katie Horwich here from WANT, Women Against Negative Talk. She's also a very close friend of mine. We connected. Well, we connected in a lot of different ways. I think it was originally because she used to write for the Chalkboard Magazine. I believe you were a founding editor of the Chalkboard Mm -hmm. Magazine. And um, we would work together with Chalkboard and The Balanced Blonde. And then when Katie branched off to start doing Want more full-time, we really connected on basically everything that she stands for. (laughs) And we just have so much in common. It's almost unreal. I was a panelist on a recent panel that she hosted in Los Angeles when she still lived here. And then she moved to the West Village, my old stomping grounds, and I'm endlessly jealous of her and I visit every chance I get. And she has a podcast. She has a bunch of amazing stuff. You can pretty much find her all over the internet on womenagainstnegativetalk.com, Katie Horwich on Instagram. She posts the most amazing Facebook statuses where she shares her heart and soul. And everybody who knows Katie loves her. She's super infectious. She teaches indoor cycling at Equinox. She's an absolute baller. She has a background in acting. She does it all. And she's nice. She's like the nicest girl ever. So with that, Katie, introduce yourself to the Balanced Blonde crowd. Oh, you are awesome. And first of all, thank you so much for having me on. It's like, well, now it's pouring outside. and Yeah, it's pouring outside right now. I have my Christmas tree up with the lights on and it like, I I can't think of a better way to be spending this afternoon. So thank you so much. Thank you for Um, being here. That sounds so cozy. I'm jealous. It's 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 pretty summertime still in Los Angeles, even though it's December or well, Well, tomorrow's December. And you know that in the West Village during this time is like the most quintessential 
New York time there is. Everything is decked out. Everything is so cute and so festive and it looks like it's out of a movie. So it's It's my favorite. The West Village during Christmas time is the most magical place on earth. You're so lucky to be there right now, even though it's definitely probably getting really cold. Yeah. I mean, I really like the cold. I mean, I like it right now, TBD, how I'll be feeling in February. But right now I'm really liking it. The summer was crazy. I'd never experienced humidity like that in my life where your body uh, doesn't know how to cool itself down anymore. Mm -hmm. So I got actual heat exhaustion, which I had never experienced before in my life. And I thought I knew heat stroke was a thing, but I thought heat exhaustion was just kind of a, a term people use to like, Oh, I'm, I'm so depressed or I'm so this or that when people use it when they're not really depressed. And yes. I have people just said, Oh, I, I've, I've got heat exhaustion, but no, it's an actual thing. So this cold weather, I, if I can deal with the humidity, I can deal with anything. Um, got a little sidetracked. You want to introduce <laughs> yes, myself. talking about the weather because the weather in New York is probably one of the most fascinating things ever for people from California like us because it's so different from what we're used to. So it yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, but you gave a lovely introduction of me. So thank you for that. But for anybody who is listening who is not familiar with me or with Want, like you said, I'm the founder of Want, which is Women Against Negative Talk. And it's a platform that gives women tips, tools, along with motivation and inspiration to move forward in their lives by shifting around their negative self-talk patterns, which we all have, no matter how self-assured and confident you are. It's something that uh, all of the women that I've ever met uh, deal with. So I'm a writer, I'm an artist, I'm an activist. And like you said before, want, I was one of the founding editors of the chalkboard mag, which is a beautiful lifestyle wellness magazine, online magazine that is run by press juicery. So if you haven't checked that out, you should definitely go and get lost in that. It's absolutely beautiful and so informative too. Um, And I've been in the writing, blogging, sort of online editorial world for, oh my gosh, it's, it's been so long. I I think my first blog that I ever started was back in 2009. So that was when healthy living bloggers were a thing Mm -hmm. and, um, the HLB community, the HLBs and it was kind of, um, Shall I say embarrassing to tell people in your real life that you had a blog? It like it's wasn't so a cool different. Thing to, to yeah. Do. I mean, people totally. didn't blog back then. It was like a side thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's me in a nutshell. And with Want right now, what I do is there's an online editorial platform. There's also the podcast, which you were on and you were amazing on. It's called the Wantcast. Um, and then I do, I do live events. So I do speaking, I do workshops and, uh, that's, that's definitely besides the writing, which is come second nature to me, but I come from a musical theater background actually. So being with a group of people and being in front of a group of people and sort of curating an experience is what I really, really love doing. Well, that's something you're really good at. And that's that's a question that I have here that was kind of toward the middle of my list. But 
we can just dive into it now because you brought it up. I think you're such a good speaker, not only on your podcast, but also in your in-person events and the panel that you moderated that I was lucky enough to be a panelist on. I felt it was so beautifully moderated by you. Oh, and you just have this you. incredible presence in front of people. And you have this voice that is so easy to listen to and you're so articulate. So how did you become comfortable speaking in front of crowds and sharing really personal things on your podcast and just in very public places, which is something that I do too. And I feel like people are kind of fascinated by those of us who are comfortable being vulnerable, but it takes it to a whole new level when you're comfortable being vulnerable in the speaking word versus the written word. So how did Mm -hmm. you get comfortable doing that? Was it your musical theater background or is there a lot more that goes along with it? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's, it's sort of a combination of a lot of things. I think that the theater background definitely helped a lot with that. I mean, you do a quick Google search and you see that one of, if not the top uh, fears of people is public speaking. Like people get so tense around when they have to get up in front of a crowd and whether it's presenting something for work or making a speech, public speaking makes people queasy. Yeah. <laughs> for And for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, get me in front of a group of people and I am the most comfortable. What's really interesting is that if I'm just in front of a group of small, like a small group, so just a couple people, um, if I'm singing in front of a small group of people, then, I mean, that's an entirely different story. Then I get more nervous, but it's almost like the bigger the group is, the more comfortable I am. Do you find that too? Yeah. I can't believe you just said that because I've never actually connected with anybody else about this. Usually when I tell people that, they think I'm crazy, including my therapist. But I... I'm so much more comfortable in front of a larger group than a smaller group. And especially when it comes to something that I've been doing a lot lately, which is teaching yoga. I'm Mm -hmm. so much more comfortable teaching yoga to a crowd of 65 people outside speaking into a microphone than I am in a tiny little studio room where four students show up. It terrifies me in those small settings. And I think it's because... All of those four people, their eyes are undivided attention on you. And you can watch the reactions of their face. And mm-hmm. I think it's really like um, if you're speaking or singing or teaching or anything, you have to tailor what you're doing to each of those people in your audience, which is technically what you should do with a larger audience too. But I don't know, maybe it's that performance quality because I too yeah. love to to perform and have Mm -hmm. a background in acting. And I love being on stage and having a wide audience. So I think I can treat it like a performance if there's an audience. But if there's a very small group of people, I'm basically terrified speechless until until I get started. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. You can do a performance for a very small group of people. But I think that it has to do with like everything's an energy exchange, right? So if you're in front of a group of people and it's a big group, you're 
your energy is sort of scattering amongst this big group of people and you're getting energy back not to be too hippy dippy about it, but in my mind, I'm like, no, totally. This, can I can I say shit on this podcast? Yes, you can about, say okay. anything you want. <laughs> I was about to be like, this shit is science, but then I realized I might not be able to say that. But no, yeah, say it. it is. This shit is, this shit is science. It, this shit is science. You can quote me on that. With energy, you know, we we give off energy, and other people give off energy, and we're the way that we respond to other people a lot of times has to do with the energy that they are giving off. So when you have a big group of people, it's almost like you've got so much that you don't have the time to focus on all of the different people in the room, how they're being affected and how they're affecting you. You just sort of get like this general sense of what's going on. But when there's just a couple people in the room or if, you know, you're teaching a class, which I totally get because I've been teaching um, indoor cycling, spinning classes for the last almost 10 years now. And when you have just a couple people in the room, the only energy that you're getting back and that you're giving out has to do with those one or two or four people that you have in front of you. So there's an increased awareness of what's going on and how you're being received. And I think that's what trips me up the most. And if I get really, really deep into my head about it, which a lot of times I do, I've gotten a lot better about it, but a lot of the way that I respond to those small groups when I get anxiety is it has to do with a fear of the expectation they have of me. So if they're strangers in front of me, it's a lot easier for me than if they're people that I even kind of sort of know because I feel like there's this ex- expectation of who I'm supposed to be to them, how I'm supposed to sound, how I'm supposed to act. But the larger the group gets slash the more comfortable I get in the discomfort. And that just comes with a ton of practice. The more I'm able to let that expectation go. Yes. I love that answer. I love that you spoke to the idea of energy exchange, which to me couldn't sound hippy dippy at all because <laughs> I'm so into that kind of stuff. And that shit is science. That shit is science. <laughs> and I'm reading Gabby Bernstein's The Universe Has Your Back right now. And mm-hmm. it's all about the exchange of energy. And for people like us who are so highly sensitive, which is something mm-hmm. we'll dive into shortly because I have a lot of questions I want to ask you about that after perusing your site very deeply mm-hmm. before we got on this conversation or before we got on this Skype call. Um, Mm -hmm. I can totally relate to what you just said. And last night, well, so I just started teaching yoga again, Mm -hmm. um, just a couple months ago. Thank you. It's so fun. And it's so awesome to start doing something off of the internet to really connect with people and give me that chance to be in front of people like I really enjoy doing, as I mentioned. Um, And last night, so I've been teaching a lot of classes. I've been lucky enough to be teaching at SoCal Hot Yoga as a new teacher and being able to sub tons of classes each week, which has been awesome practice for me. And I've been really comfortable because mostly it's strangers coming to the classes. So I can just Mm -hmm. hop in and be whoever, you know, whoever calls me that day as a yoga teacher. But... 
last night, I think there were seven people in the class and five of them were people that I know very well. So my friends and my cousins. And And of course they want to be there to support you. Oh yeah. And they were were so excited to be there. They were probably going to like anything that I did, whether it be like the best, sweatiest, most intense yoga class, or if they just laid in Shavasana the whole time. They were just excited Mm -hmm. to be there and see me in this new different element. But I, I just kept looking at their faces and thinking like, I want to read your face. I know you so well. Like, what do you want to do? Do you are you're not that into yoga? So should we do really restorative poses? I was just trying, like when you know somebody and they're part of your audience, you try, or at least I try so hard to read their face. And then I start thinking, oh my God, are mm-hmm. they reading my face? Do they know that yeah. I'm nervous? This is this is awful. They know me. Oh my God, this isn't my normal voice. And start going into all of these patterns in my head. Oh my gosh, everything. wait until your bosses come to your classes. Oh, That'll I will fun. literally die. Oh yeah, because one of the other people in the class is another teacher at that studio who's been teaching there since the studio opened. So of oh. course I was like, oh, my God, she's finally going to realize that I'm not a real yoga teacher. I'm so new at this. This is horrible. But actually, it was interesting because as the class went on and I noticed that because she's such a yogi, she was so into her practice and her body was getting so open and warm. That actually made me feel so much more comfortable because I felt like, okay, this yogi girl who knows what she's doing seems like she's really enjoying the class. So I can Mm -hmm. be a little less hard on myself and Luckily, that's something that I've learned over the last couple of years anyway, just being in the public eye. So teaching yoga is kind of just an offshoot of generally being in the public eye and being in front of people. Mm -hmm. So thank God at this point, as opposed to like five years ago when I did my first teacher training, I've picked up a lot of different techniques to just feel more comfortable in front of Mm -hmm. an audience because you're always going to... There's always going to be that second guessing in your head, which is... Oh, for sure. I mean, that still happens. Like I said, I've been teaching for almost 10 years now and that still happens to me. Like last night I taught a class and it was, um, it was almost full. And I'm not saying that in a way that teachers are like, I have full class, this and that, which, you know, that's a whole other conversation about the culture of sort of like the rock star fitness personality. We should talk about that 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 later. Yeah. That's really interesting Um, to me. You know, the room was almost full, but there was this one woman in there. I had no clue who she was, but she came in and she was sort of in like the middle of the room. And she decided that she was going to have her headphones in for most all of the class. And some people do that if they don't have um, earplugs and their ears are really sensitive and they just have their earphones. So they put them in and they kind of serve as earplugs and that's totally fine. But she came in and she put in her headphones and I could tell that she was, she knew what I was doing because there were certain parts where she would follow along with me. And then she would just go off and like do her own thing. She was checking her phone during part of it. And especially in certain studios and in certain groups, you really have to read the room. And if it's affecting other people, and especially in New York, um, people are on the go and doing things all of the time. And you really have to know what to do as a teacher to keep the experience as A plus as possible um, for everybody involved, but also not let people who want to come in and just sort of do their own thing. Like 
you can't just let them off the hook. So I gave her some warnings yesterday, but she wasn't being as like she wasn't being a disruptance in the class and where she was positioned was in a place where she was pretty much out of eyesight of most of the people in class. So because she was sort of going along with everybody, I let it go for the most part. However, the energy she was giving off was so negative. She had her headphones in. There were parts where she I could tell she was checking out and she was she wasn't texting on her phone, but she like kept checking and it it got to me and it didn't affect me where like I was questioning myself as a teacher and I was hard on myself, but even in a full room where everybody was working so hard, I really had to check myself to not get caught up in this one person that wasn't affecting the rest of the class. It wasn't like everybody was staring at her and she was ruining their experience, but I could see her. And it really was a moment where I was so thankful that I had had so many years of, I was just talking about this with uh, my boyfriend last night, so many years of people coming to class and thinking that they basically like own the world. And I like treating me sort of like someone who is the shittiest customer in a restaurant and it treats the waitress or the waiter like horribly. I've had so many people like that over the years. And I've had such a wide variety of people in my classes where how they're acting toward me has zero to do with me because I mean, I know I'm giving the best that I can. I, my managers and bosses completely have my back and they put me in the time slots and hire me because of my strengths and because of who I am as a leader. I know that the way that they're responding to me or rather in my class in some experiences um, has nothing to do with me and has everything to do with who they are and what they're harboring. And after years and years and years of that, I've really, I'm really happy that I've learned to not sort of cast that aside, but I've really learned how to manage that and not let that affect what I'm there to actually do. Yeah, that's so, that's so cool to hear because I think I mean, just from teaching for the last couple months, I've definitely had students come in with that sort of attitude where they're there to do their own thing. um, Or they look at me like I'm crazy if I tell them to do a Mm -hmm. certain pose a way that they've (laughs) never done it before. Or when I offer to put a block under their hand so that they can get the deepest heart opener and they look at me like I'm just insulting them by giving them a block. And that's one of of my... I have like my hands over my face right now. So much to talk about when people, I went to a class the other day and it was such a great class, but it wasn't, it wasn't at, um, the, I, I teach at Equinox. I was going to be all elusive about it, but you can find it. <laughs> yes. It was not an Equinox class. It was a boutique, like high intensity circuit training class that I went to. And the teacher was awesome. And the class was so good. The one thing that threw me off is that she used the words to describe different different moves and different modifications. She said, if you're a beginner, do this. And if you're advanced, do that. And I remember when I like started doing yoga, I thought that using blocks and using props, I thought 
because I had heard that terminology so much, like this is for a beginner. And if you're advanced, you do this. I had such a, a block around, right. using, <laughs> using, around using bots where it's like, it's not about that. No. Also, you could be doing something for decades and you just have a day one day where you like have to take a modification that you wouldn't normally take. That doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden you've regressed and become a beginner. No, actually what they say in yoga and what my teachers have been saying that I really soaked in years ago. So I've had this mentality for a while is that the more advanced your practice is, the more likely you are to use props, modifications, come down into child's pose when you need to take a breath. That Mm -hmm. is an advanced yoga practitioner is somebody who can lower their knees and come down to child's pose in the middle of a really intense vinyasa sequence because they need to reconnect to their breath or someone... Isn't that the best thing to hear as a perfectionist? Oh my God. That's why I love <laughs> yoga so much. And that's what I tell people too, or that's what I... Now I've started to say this at the beginning of class when I have my students in their opening pose and I'm getting them connected to their breath. I've usually just said a little something like, by the way, if I come around and touch your body, give you a modification, give you a block, I'm not showing you that you're doing the pose wrong because there's no way to do a pose wrong in yoga. I'm just trying to make you as comfortable and open as possible. So you can completely disregard my suggestion or my modification. Just tell me if it doesn't feel good. But that's what I'm here to do is to try to show you how you can be the most comfortable in the pose from a teacher's point of view. And as a perfectionist, that is like the most freeing feeling in the whole entire world. And until I heard that, um, which is, you know, like the more advanced you are, the more likely you are to reconnect to your breath and use props. I would always push myself through these vinyasa sequences. But that's the thing. If you want a super high intensity workout that doesn't have any elements of spirituality or connecting the breath with the body, you can do a different type of workout. You can go to a circuit training class. You can do high Mm -hmm. intensity interval training. You can go for a run. And of course, I think there's spiritual meditative elements to all of that stuff too, if if you want to make it that way. Mm -hmm. Yoga really is about connecting the breath to the body. And I think that people come to those classes, not just to get a workout, but also to just connect spiritually a little bit or else they probably wouldn't be in yoga or you know, maybe they hate that stuff and my class isn't right. for them. And that's another thing that I'm starting to grow comfortable with. Or like when people roll up their mat and leave class 10 minutes early before the cool down and before Shavasana, I've just had to learn as a new teacher not to be offended by that. It's nothing personal. They're in the middle of their day. You know, they have their own stuff going on. So, And they also might have their own internal stuff going on where they like getting to the yoga class for them is they've won and they are not yet in the place where, uh, I mean, in my opinion, it's, it's good to practice that. But some people yoga is such a jarring experience for them because they don't know how to sit still with themselves. So if you get to the end of the class and you're in, you know, your final resting pose and you're cooling down and all you're doing is sitting with yourself and there is no pose, quote unquote, to supplement that. For some people, I've realized that that 
is like way too much because that's the most advanced thing you can ask them to do. Should they stay for that? Yes, it's part of the experience. But I've realized that some people, some people that that's the hardest thing for them. And so I think for anybody listening who that might be the hardest part, like that very final part, and they're like, well, I should... I should get out of here before the cool down and before Shavasana because then I'll save time or because I like, you know, making the excuses of why you've got to leave early, just try sitting. And if your mind doesn't calm down, I think that's another thing. People think that they have to do Shavasana or any type of meditation a certain way. Like someone once told me about meditation is that you're you're never you're never supposed to turn your thoughts completely off. Those are always going to come. The practice is letting them just sort of float through you. Like if you imagine like a speck of dust or a feather floating through the air, you see it, you look at it, you're like, oh, that's nice. Or that's a dirty feather. And then it, then it flies away. And just the practice is letting it fly away. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's another really helpful thing for people like us who are such perfectionists to hear because it's pretty unrealistic to think that just because you're meditating means that you're going to be able to turn off your mind. Of course, I think a lot of us have thought that at different experiences in our journey mm-hmm. with spirituality and all things, meditation, yoga, etc. But if you can learn to let go of like, of course, your thoughts are still going to come. Of course, negative thoughts are still going to float through your mind and different anxieties and stressors that jump into your head at any point in the day can totally come into your mind while you're meditating too. But it's more just the way that you look at it. And I think for people to be able to experience those things on the yoga mat and a moving meditation is just as helpful as a seated meditation on a meditation pillow. Because that's kind of... I mean, that's what it is really. Meditation, all those different forms of learning to connect with ourselves are are just because we want to be better in our everyday life when we're mm-hmm. in the middle of the day, when we're in the grocery store or walking around the West Village, if you live in New York City or basically anything in a chaotic environment, you want to be able to reconnect to those thoughts. Right. Right. And be able to not get so thrown off track by the stressful moments or the the negative thoughts. I mean, that's, that's part of the reason I was so passionate about, about starting want and making it, you know, a, a movement is because you read a lot or you hear a lot about, um, not saying certain things to yourself and like you hear a lot of stop language. So stop complaining or, uh, you know, you would never talk like this to your best friend or your inner monologue is a bitch. Well, what is calling your inner monologue a bitch doing to your inner, like the way that you view your inner monologue? And if you say that you're not supposed to say certain things, then how do you view that when they do come in your head? Like you start to think that there's something wrong with you or there's something bad about it. And when it comes to what we tell ourselves, we're never not going to have negative talk come into our brain. We're never going to 
feel amazing about ourselves all the time. And if we do, then then we're robots and we don't really feel amazing about ourselves. We feel nothing about ourselves because if you're something all of the time, then you're basically nothing all of the time because there's no ups and downs. So when I created Want, I really wanted to give women, provide women with you know, the motivation and the inspirational, more esoteric stuff that you see more often, especially online. But I wanted to provide specific tips and tools and strategies that have helped me in my own life and helped the people that I work with uh, via want, helped them when those negative talks and those, that self-doubt and those sort of uh, bad feelings that you get about yourself sometimes, when those come into your brain. Like, how do you deal with that? You can't just say, don't talk a certain way. You're beautiful. You should feel beautiful. Like, what about the times when you don't feel beautiful? What about the times when you have been knocked down and your self-confidence is low? Like, those are valid. So treating everything as valid and knowing that there's a next step. And that's what want is about. It's about sitting in whatever's going on and recognizing whatever's going on and the step that you take next. Does I that love all make that. Sense? No, it makes so much sense. And it's actually really eye-opening and cool to hear you describe it that way because I've I've always viewed what you do. Um, it will obviously in such a positive way and in a very certain awesome kind of way. But hearing you describe it in the way that you just did makes it really relatable to everything we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes, which is yoga, meditation, teaching, being positive and being confident with speaking in front of people. And it makes sense because it all goes back to those self-talk patterns that we have with ourselves and moving forward into an empowered life. And of course, that's what you're all about, which is why it's so fun to talk to you. And we could probably pick any little thing that either of us are interested in our lives and just riff off of it with oh, for your sure. whole want <laughs> mentality. Because in some ways, that's the, that's my approach as well, is to just help people to live their healthiest, happiest lives by being empowered and being healthy. And it all it's all the same. It's like meditation, mm-hmm. yoga, going to want events and meeting other like-minded people. Everybody has their way of trying to find what makes them feel the most in control of their life, being Mm -hmm. okay with not being in control too. Um, Which brings me to another question here because I do have so many written down for you. Yeah, let's just bang through them. Yeah. So as I was reading through your site and saw some of the things that you wrote about in your about section when Mm -hmm. you were growing up and looking around at all the other people who seemed to just be living life, floating through life, kind of you know, just doing the thing. And you would look at everything and find all the subtle nuances to absolutely everything. I could relate to that so much as a highly sensitive person and someone who just... Like living life is very complex for me. I love life and I'm very happy, but I've always given everything so much thought. And I look so much deeper under the surface that I can't just do things and make decisions and go with the flow the way that I see other people just hopping along with the flow. 
And after reading what you wrote, you strike me as someone very similar to that, which falls under the HSP category, the highly sensitive person category that I think is something we talked about when I was on your podcast. So Mm -hmm. how do you deal with being such a sensitive person who sees things so deeply and is so in touch and in tune with something deeper when not everybody's like that? So it can be kind of hard to deal. Oh my gosh. Well, and I just, I want to clarify because I'm such a geek about about this. So The Highly Sensitive Person, it's a book by a, a woman named Elaine Aaron, and it is so good. And what is interesting, because I've always, I mean, I have vivid, vivid memories throughout my life. Like I can see little vignettes as I'm saying this of friends, family members, people saying, don't be so sensitive to me all of the time. And so, so I always knew that I was a really sensitive person because that was, you know, what people told me not to be a lot. And when I read the highly sensitive person book, it it really clarified a lot about the, the nuances and the depth of that sensitivity, because it's not just an emotion to emotion thing. It's a like sense to emotion thing, like sensitive in relation to senses. So really loud noises, they really affect me and not just like, oh, that's surprising or, oh, that's loud. Like it shakes me throughout my body. Um, there, there are certain, there are certain environments like open working environment to me where everybody's working for the same company and everybody's in the same room, that's the worst. However, I really like working out of like coffee shops because I'm around a lot of different energy. And so it's sort of like the performing thing, like being in front of an entire group of people, you're not really able to focus on anything but sort of the general vibe of the room. But when you're in like an open office plan and everybody works for the toward the same goal, a lot of people usually are experiencing a lot of the same things. That for me is the worst because like even the tiniest blip of resentment or negativity or whatever, that affects me. Like I actually feel that energy. And I've been in that kind of situation before in different times throughout my life. And I had to physically remove myself from the space. Um, And sometimes headphones worked. Like my boyfriend was having a, a hard time the other day with some work stuff that was going on, as we all do. And in order to protect myself from that energy, I had to put my, and it wasn't like, he wasn't being awful or anything. He was just going through some tough stuff. And I was working on some really fun things. So, and so I didn't take on that energy. I put on headphones so that I could stay in like this happy fun zone because I knew that if I didn't have headphones on, I would totally soak that up. So highly sensitive person is like sensitive to all of the things. <laughs> yes. Oh and it's so much to carry around. It is. But I but I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be any other way. So I forget what <laughs> No, you're an- you're answering the question as you speak about okay. it and it's crazy to hear you talk about it because 
I just relate to absolutely everything that you say. I'm such a deeply highly sensitive person. And I don't actually have a lot of other highly sensitive people in my life. Um, I think us HSPs tend to obviously connect with other people who are highly sensitive, but also surround ourselves with people who are not so that there's that balance with relationships and my family is so not highly sensitive. So I grew up too with, you know, noises being such a huge thing to me. Like my dad will do this thing with his hands. Probably tons of people do it. But he, when he eats, because he's a psycho OCD neat freak, he can't have any crumbs on his hands or anything. So he's always kind of rubbing his thumb against his other fingers. And that noise, if you can imagine what that noise sounds oh, like, it's just like yeah. skin against skin, but almost silent, but not silent. Right. That noise could send me into an absolute tailspin, mental breakdown, panic attack. And my family, because I mean, this started when I was like two or three years old, I would start uh-huh. to react to that noise among so many other noises, like people chewing, um, any sound against any carpet, Velcro, anything. And I would be like, dad, stop. And my family, my whole family would be like, Jordan, you're such a brat. You're overreacting. Right. You're overreacting. This is just, you know, something that I do. I'm not going to stop just because it bothers you and calm down. And I would be like, no, you don't get it. This physically hurts me. Like my heart (laughs) hurts. My heart hurts very bad when I have to listen to this. Like it really is painful. And so luckily my family is really supportive and really open to who I am. So Mm -hmm. I started going to therapy at a really young age and it was explained to my parents, this is real. Jordan's very sensitive. She's sensitive to touch, to sound, to um, emotionally, all sorts of things. And so... I mean, it's still like a joke to this day Mm -hmm. because of course, there's so many things that bother me that other people close to me just find ridiculous. And my dad will still do that thing with his hands because it's just an inherent movement that he does. But when he does it, and when we're like in a silent car together or something, I'm like, dad, you're going to have to stop right now or else I'm going to have to jump out of the window of this car. (laughs) And (laughs) he's like... Nope, not stopping. And my family just loves to tease me about it because they're not like that. But hearing everything that you're saying is is so on point. Also working in like a group working environment is like the most terrifying thought to me ever, which is mm-hmm. why I'm so happy that I work from home, work alone. I also thrive working in coffee shops. It's just that white noise. But mm-hmm. if it's all just like supposed to be pretty quiet, but people are doing their thing, it, it drives me crazy. And even this morning... Yeah. I've had my friend staying with me for the last couple of days. He's helping me with some audio stuff with my podcast. And he's just like down here visiting LA. So he's been in and out staying with me and visiting our other friends. And I was trying to edit uh, my podcast episode this morning with Rachel Mansfield that's coming out this afternoon. And I was I needed his help. I needed my friend Tommy's help who's staying with me. But I also didn't want him to be interrupting my workflow. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I need your help but I need you to kind of like go at my pace and like hand me back my computer the moment that I reach for it because I can, I don't have a lot of time. So like, I don't want you like messing with everything. And he was like, Jordan, you're crazy. Like, yes, I'm, I'm helping you. Like, if you don't want me to help you, don't ask for my, don't ask for my help, but I won't be able to help you if you're going to like 
be jumping down my throat and grabbing your laptop out of my hands. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to deal with when you are, when you're an HSP and when you have, especially when you work by yourself, for yourself, whatever, and there are certain working conditions that are, that, that are good for you. It's a really delicate balance honoring what's best for you and also not being like letting things slide enough so that you're not pissing off the people around you. Yeah, it's definitely like you have to know who you are and be in touch with who you are and honor who that is exactly. But you can't be, you can't be rude to other people who don't work in the same way. So that really was my question is like being a highly sensitive person in a non-HSP world, we have mm-hmm. to find different tactics to deal. And it sounds like you've found a lot of good tactics with the headphones and obviously working for yourself and working from coffee shops. So that is a yeah. fabulous answer to the question. I will say my my most difficult moments as an HSP are probably after I after I do something or I have a meeting with maybe a new person and I feel they, she describes it in the book as being um, stimulated. And that sounds like a thing (laughs) that it's not, (laughs) but, but just to sort of getting that, uh, that chip turned on in your brain that sort of makes you move at like, like two times the speed than you normally would. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very aware of that when that happens. And it's usually around new-ish people or new-ish situations. And what's been the, one of the biggest challenges for me is to not let myself obsess over those moments and really accept that that's happening to me because this is the way I am and it's not good or bad. It's just, it's just how it is and it's going to pass. And this is how it is right now. So just sort of like what we were talking about, like, let it flow through me. Like after I did my very first event for want, there were probably 30 people there or something. And I turned to my friend before I was giving, before I was about to give the speech to like welcome everybody there. And she is uh, an amazing, amazing human being. And she's also a highly sensitive person. And I I turned to her and I was like, my HS penis is in overdrive right now. And she's like, I know, I know. And just having her there and being able to acknowledge that and then just go on that helped so much. So whether you have somebody nearby who you can be like, oh, this is happening right now, or you just say it to yourself so you know what's going on and you don't feel like your body and your mind and your brain are going out of control, like that helps so much in those more, in those like highly high anxiety type situations. Yeah, I could not agree more with that because the people who I have surrounded myself with who are also HSP and people who have also been in my life for a long time who I have helped them realize that they are also HSP through my obsession with discovering the book and Mm -hmm. learning so many techniques on how to live a more balanced life because of it. It's so nice to be able to 
even just text them. Like my best friend, Danielle, who I grew up with, she's also very HSP. And sometimes I'll just text her and say like, oh my God, my day has gone crazy because like this, 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 this. And I feel so HSP about this. And she'll just be like, yep, HSP. And just to feel understood is so nice. So that Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. And I'm with you on the new situations, new people being very overstimulating. And that's something... I have dealt with a lot too. I mean, in a way, I kind of like it. I've described it to people as, yes, it causes some anxiety and keeps me up at night when I'm really overstimulated. Mm -hmm. But it's also like the most passionate place that I can be with my energy. So I know that I'm doing something right if if I'm reaching that state of like really, really majorly overstimulated. I mean, it's not always a good thing. Sometimes it's very positive. Sometimes it's not. But like when I just started teaching yoga and I've been teaching these night classes, I come down or I come home afterwards and it takes me hours to wind down because it's so stimulating. It's like performing. And then you're like, oh my God, this is great. I'm going to walk home from the yoga studio and it's cold outside. And like, I could run a marathon right now. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's not normal at 9 p.m. for somebody who like sometimes goes to bed at 10 p.m. So, you know, it's like a give and take with the stimulation stuff. And I feel like even people, people who are listening who aren't highly sensitive or don't even know what we're talking about with the high sensitivity, because if you have just heard of the book for the first time in this episode... I'm sure everybody can relate to being overstimulated some way or another. Um, oh, totally. And it's and it's like you said, you prioritize like what's what's important for you, knowing the way that you are. Like just because you, it takes you a while to calm down or to wind down after teaching a class or like going to a concert or whatever, like. Or or just going out to dinner with friends. Because I know for me, if I have plans in the evening, especially, it takes me me two hours from when I get home to wind down enough to where I can go to sleep. But that doesn't mean that I don't go out and I don't go and live my life. Like I did that for... I did that for a while. And a lot of that had to do with like the years, my, my eating disorder years, um, where I wouldn't go out. A, there was the food component, but B, there was the idea of, well, if I go out, then what if I'm not home by this time? Then that means that I'm not going to go to sleep until this time. And then I'm not going to get enough sleep. And then I'm going to wake up and I'm not going to be awake enough to be at class or be, do this or do my workout or whatever by this time, like it all, I made this sort of destructive domino effect in my brain. And so I didn't go out and I didn't do things because of something that I had completely made up and fabricated out of the fear of like, what might happen if I were to, you know, leave things up to chance and not be on a tight schedule and not have every single piece of my life under my own control. Yeah. It's like you're speaking straight from my brain because (laughs) I too have... I mean, I still do that. But I think it's, it's important for us because we 
we are perfectionists inherently and we do like to have that control. I think it's really good for us to leave certain things up to chance sometimes. And for sure, I mean, especially like we both run our own businesses. We're entrepreneurs. We've taken on a lot. We also have our own lives and fitness routines and family and friends, people to be with. So there's a lot of things to take into consideration. Like it's true, we don't want to not get enough sleep and not be able to function during our day. But I think it's a really nice balance to find to sometimes go out and just leave it up to chance. And I've been doing that more lately because I'm the exact same way. Like I can't, you know, I can't stay out until 4 a.m. like some of my friends do because they can stay out. I mean, first of all, that's really late for me. <laughs> Maybe I'm yeah. exaggerating. So say my friends 4 stay out. 4 a.m. What? Yeah. Say my friends stay out until 1 a.m. And yeah. they go home. Oh, I was thinking in my mind, I'm like 11 p.m. <laughs> no, I know. Say, say they stay out until 1. They come home. They fall asleep at 105. Because mm-hmm. I think that is what a lot of people do. If yeah. I stay out until 1 a.m., I'm just like you. I'll be up until probably 3, maybe 3.30. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's what I have to explain to people when I'm out. And it is 11. And I'll be like, you know, I'm sure you're going to stay out for a couple more hours. I'm sure you'll fall asleep right when you get home. You'll get a normal amount of sleep. I will literally be up all night if I don't go home now. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go home, wind yeah. down, and then I'll fall asleep around the same time you fall asleep. And I'll probably wake yeah. up a lot earlier because I just yeah. have so much stuff I've committed to. So that's the thing. But it's a great balance to go out and be able to connect with people in those settings. It's great. Like so many of my friends are night people and they like to go out to late dinners and bars and to be able to do that with them at least sometimes is really fun and really freeing, even though it's not my first social activity of choice because... I do like to go to bed early and I like to read in bed and, you know, all that fun grandma stuff that I like to do. Mm -hmm. But I like to find the balance between making fitness workout daytime plans with people and also going out with my friends on the weekends because why not? Like life life is to be lived and enjoyed. And I think that it's important to to do stuff that isn't necessarily your first choice, like logistic wise, when you're doing the kind of work that you're doing and the kind of work that I'm doing. And probably a lot of people who are listening either are in the sort of field of wellness, self-improvement, whatever, or they're interested in it. You've got to know what's going on with people who live lifestyles that are different than your own. If you're truly interested in helping people you've got to learn about people who are different than you and get attuned to that energy and what people actually need, not just what you would need in any given situation. Yeah. No, you're so right. And I, I think about that a lot. And I've been thinking about that a lot this week in particular, because so many situations are so overstimulating to me. And I have my routine yeah. that makes me really happy. Um, if I stuck in that routine that typically would be like my quote unquote ideal day in my mind, if I did that every single day, I would be the most sheltered person. I wouldn't be able to like tap into other people's energy or write about nearly the amount of things that I write about. Um, or like the next book that I'm working on is really focused on um, people's energy and trying to find a balance in this world. If I Mm -hmm. just... I would be so holed up. I'd be like, okay, this is my routine. 
not swaying, not bending. And that's kind of the opposite of who I strive to be and who Mm -hmm. I think I am. I think, I mean, for somebody as like, so not go with the flow as I am, I think I do kind of go with the flow, if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense at all. So I I mean, I like to, you know, I like to be with people and I'm a very, very social person for how... um, complex and sensitive I am. I'm very Mm -hmm. social and people mean the world to me. So if I was always just in my routine, life wouldn't work. And I think that seems to be a lot along the lines of what you're saying too. Um, Yeah. Because we want to, you know, we want to enjoy every aspect of life and um, set our souls on fire, which is what we're here for. Okay. Um, See what you did there. Right. I know. So which brings me to my next question, which is what advice do you have to give to people who are looking to set their souls on fire and follow an alternative career path, maybe where they're helping people or doing something similar to what you've created? Oh, that's a really good question. Let me just sit on this for a second. What would I what would I tell people who want to set their souls on fire? And tell me again how you define that so I can give an informed a well thought out answer. I mean, basically, so you and I, we both have alternative career paths. We don't mm-hmm. have the typical nine to five. We don't work in an office. Um, we've created something different for ourselves. And a, a lot of it has to do with um, helping other people and being vulnerable, sharing our stories in order to help other people gain empowerment and self-actualization. So Mm -hmm. if somebody were to want to create something similar to what you or I do, which I Mm -hmm. imagine a lot of people listening would at least like to consider, what what advice would you give them? Well, I, I do think that there's a lot of people, especially you know, now where there are so many tools available to us to do pretty much whatever we want to do, we're able to be as creative and as imaginative and as entrepreneurial and even like quasi entrepreneurial, if you don't consider yourself an entrepreneur, uh, as you want. So what I, what I like to tell people who are looking to sort of Find that thing that is going to, as you say, set their soul on fire. Some people call it their purpose or their their mission or what they're really supposed to do in their life that's going to make them be the person that they know that they're meant to be. I always tell people to start by, and it's on the site and I can send you a link to put in the show notes, but I say to people to find, instead of thinking about what is my purpose or what should I be doing? Start with the why. And I tell people to do what I call an exercise of defining your through line. So what your through line is, how I define it, is it's the common theme in everything you love and the common aim or outcome or goal in everything you do. So you look at everything, you make a list of everything that you love, every single thing you love, and it can be professional, personal, whatever, and you find those two commonalities. So for me, my through line is using my unique voice to inspire change in others and help them find theirs. So using my unique voice to help others find theirs, basically. And that it was present in acting, 
in singing, in writing, in the conversations that I love to have. It's the reason I love to teach. Like I, I I love the, I love movement and I love sweat, but really like I, I could give a crap about a lunge. Like I don't love fitness because of the actual thing that you're doing. I like the way that it transforms you from the inside out. And I love using what I have to say and what I have to give to help people realize that in themselves. So once you find the thing that is your through line, once you find, if you want to call it your purpose, cool, then you kind of go from there. So I love when people are like, I want to create a website or I want to I want to have a blog to empower women. Like, cool, that's great. I love that. What's going to make yours, yours? I don't even go to what's going to make yours different because then you're thinking about every everybody else. I just tell people to think about themselves. What do you have to say? What do you have to give? What is it that makes you you in your everyday life and that makes you light up from the inside out in every single thing that you do. So I would tell people to find that and then go from there. Yeah, that's incredible advice. And I think that really sticks with what so far all the amazing, inspiring, successful people I've had on this podcast have said, which is find what makes you, you. And that might be you know, some eccentricity that makes you feel really different from other people. Awesome. Run with it. That might be what makes your business yours. And yeah, it doesn't have to be different from somebody else's because inherently, if it's yours, it will have those differences. You just don't have Mm -hmm. to get tripped up on what those might be. Totally. Someone once said to me about when I was just starting to do speaking, they were like, people are listening to you speak and coming to listen to you speak 10% about 20% maybe, about what you have to say. The rest of it is they're coming to hear you say it. They're coming to hear how you say it. Yes. Yes. I was just given that advice too, which I loved. It made me so happy because my... My mentor in my teacher training program at Yoga Works, Gigi Snyder, she mm-hmm. gave me the best advice. Oh my gosh, advice. I love Gigi. Oh my God, of course you know her. Gigi. She's, yeah. Gigi's the best. I worked at Real Food Daily for about a year and a half. Uh, little, little known fact about Katie Horwich. And I worked the counter. So I got to have really like one-on-one experience with the customers. And Gigi would always come in and was, that's how I got to know her, like through her coming to Real Food Daily and me putting together her orders. She's that's just so she's, cool. Uh, oh my God. I'll have to tell her tonight about the connection. Her she will, tr- she will love it. She loves, she loves those small world things just like we do. But yeah, yeah so the what's, amazing what's she saying? The, the advice that she gave me was so on point because she's so intuitive and so in tune with deeper energies. And um, she basically said, because I mean, she's my mentor. We have this small mentor group at Yoga Works and she's kind of helping us figure out who we are as yoga teachers, really like following our lead and then helping us. Um, and when I told her what my goals were with teaching yoga, she basically said... So, well, she basically said how she sees me as a teacher just from her own intuition is people coming to my classes to more 
soak in the experience and hear what I have to say and hear the stories that I share, whatever they may be, versus Mm -hmm. coming to get a really creative vinyasa flow on, which I found so helpful because she basically said like, just put together a couple of sequences, a couple of yoga sequences that are very fitness based because that's what you love. And then just be you and just talk because that's what people are going to come take your classes for. They're not coming because you're going to, you know, like maybe you will, maybe you won't be like the next big asana teacher in Los Angeles. That's not what they're coming for. They're coming to be with you kind of. And I really liked that she said that and that she picked up on that because somehow like I hadn't quite acknowledged that to myself yet because I was so concerned with trying to be like a normal yoga teacher like the yoga Mm -hmm. teachers that I that I go to and take but the truth is I have a career as a blogger and I love that career and teaching yoga is something a little bit different for me than it is for maybe some other new teachers because it's kind of a facet supplement to all this stuff that I've already started to create that I love. So mm-hmm. of course, like my teaching is going to be a little different than some other people's because it really, it's like my brand is me. My blog is me. My teaching is me. It's going to be a little bit balanced blondish. And that's right. you know, as, what as some people will come for. So yeah. sure. So, and if you think of yoga, like there's, there's only a certain amount of poses and there's a lot of like, what is it? Um, Ashtanga classes where it's like the same set, yeah, the entire, all of the classes, but people who like Ashtanga, Ashtanga or who, who love Bikram, they still have their favorite teachers. So if you think about it, you're like, okay, so they're doing the same thing. What makes this, what makes them like this teacher over the other? Or like, how come, how come I speaking like me, actually me, like how come I was able to, to learn how to do a headstand in one teacher's class. But when I tried for a year to do it in another teacher's class, I couldn't, it, it has to do with the amount of like the personality that you have. And it goes for any, any experience really fitness or otherwise, but like, do the, do the people who are in your room, do they trust you? And do they feel safe with you as a person? And that's going to be dependent on just who you are. And the more comfortable you are with yourself, the more permission is granted to them for them to feel comfortable in themselves. Because if they feel that, that, the person who's in front of the room, who's either talking to them in a speech or teaching a spin class or teaching a yoga class, if they feel like they're trying trying to be impressive or like throw in all these bells and whistles, then it just feels really disgenuine. And it feels like something that you don't necessarily know why you don't trust it or you why you don't feel so at ease, but you know that there's something up. And I think that that really has to do with that aspect of of trying instead of being. So Gigi's right. As long as you're you, people are going to eat you up. I can't wait to watch your yoga journey unfold. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I just loved, loved that advice. And you're totally right with everything you say too, because it's... Yeah, people just want to feel safe and they just want to feel like they're connecting. I think that's why people come to yoga and it'll be really interesting to see how the journey unfolds. But getting that advice from someone as intuitive as Gigi and as 
as successful of a yoga teacher. I mean, successful in terms of like, this is, you know, her whole life. She's a teacher trainer. It's really cool. Um, It was just awesome to hear. So I'm glad that you agree and that you know her. That makes me just so happy that the world is small. She's Um, wonderful. So we're closing in here on an hour. And as I've said to the past few guests, and I'm definitely obviously saying to you, we must have you back because I have like 50 more questions. Thanks. Um, I could sit and talk to you for like four more hours. Me too. I love love how conversational this is and how much we have to discuss. It's so fun. And it makes me very excited to come to New York soon and hang out. I know I was at your I was at your OG spot this morning. I was on 10th Street and I actually have sitting right next to me. I was at Ginger Snaps and I have oh. a bag of their daikon chips next to me that the I was best. definitely emotionally eating before this podcast as Skype wasn't working. Yeah, so stressful. <laughs> I was just like pounding them in. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, not another thing." <laughs> I know. Our ne- neither of our Skypes were working. That was so weird, but I'm glad that we got it figured out. And I'm so glad to have had you on. So thank you again. It was really such a pleasure. You are a delight. And I'm, I'm so, so happy that we're, that we're connected professionally and that we've got such like a deep personal connection and you're just wonderful. And I love you. And I value you so much. I value you so much. I'm so happy to know you. I'm so thrilled that this wellness world brought us together and that we were so serendipitously meant to be friends. And I love the internet. It's Me too. So everybody, you can find Katie on womenagainstnegativetalk.com. Yes. And where else? You can find you can find me on Instagram at Katie Horwich. It's my entire name. It's W I T C H. Some people leave out the T. Um, it's spelled like witch. Witch. Uh, <laughs> and then to also follow the want community page on Instagram, which is mostly quotes and then posts from people in the want community. It's at women against negative talk. You can also find me and want on Facebook. That's just want women against negative talk. So it's want, uh, colon women against negative talk. And then you can find me on Twitter at Katie Horwich as well. And I'm also on Snapchat, but I don't use it that much. It's, I think I'm KT Horwich. And then, uh, yeah, you can also Sweet. shoot me an email and There's just say, hey, so I love many that. places oh, to find her. Find yeah. <laughs> I'm like looking at my phone right now and I'm looking at all the apps. I'm like, oh my gosh, did I forget something? No, nope. I know. There's a million and one places. But if yeah. you go to her website or anything, you'll find all of this stuff. So you should definitely check her out. She's the best. Katie, you're awesome. Thanks for being here and we'll have you back soon. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Talk to you later. And thanks to everybody for listening. I love you guys. You're the best. Send me any and all questions, suggestions, advice. What do you think of the audio? I think we're doing a good job. Shout out to Cody for putting some audio touches on this. Killing it. Talk to everybody soon. Love you guys. Bye.